I want to share an extraordinary journey with you. Just before COVID-19 changed the world, I visited Australia and discovered that there's really no other country quite like it. There's something truly unique that links Aussies together, a shared spirit and attitude that's created their lifestyle. Beyond the beaches and barbecues, Australia is a land rich in culture, innovation and opportunity. Once travel becomes a reality again, it needs to be experienced to be fully understood. And I promise you, it's a place that will stay with you long after your visit. Join me as I explore. Australia, a country envied for its warm climate, beach-going lifestyle and world-class food and wine. It's a land of dramatic landscapes, from the bright copper hue of the red centre to the white sand and turquoise waters of its endless beaches to the rainbow of piercing colours found in its native flora. It offers cosmopolitan cities, relaxed coastal towns and outback communities where you can take yourself away from it all and be a hundred miles from anyone else. The rare privilege of a true escape. I'm Georgina Godwin, and for this series, Only in Australia, I visited every corner of Australia to explore the unique nature of Australian luxury travel and to meet some of the country's creative entrepreneurs and ecotourism pioneers. In this episode, I'm exploring Australia's design character. The country's accommodation and design ethos forgoes old-world gold taps for something even more valuable and luxurious. Progressive, place-inspired structures immersed in the landscape, where the privilege of isolation can be felt in full force. Australian architecture is unique and often crafted sympathetically to the surroundings and climate to produce structures unlike those found anywhere else. One thing I've been very keen about is displaying as much Tasmanian art as possible and having a very good library. But architecture really is the thing that is outstanding. We'll go to a cutting-edge hotel outside of Melbourne. As soon as you walk in, you see sort of a grand combination of quite slick and sharp black furniture, again from Zusta beautiful golden white terrazzo tables and a stunning 10,000 light bulb chandelier. And we'll even take a shower together. I should be so lucky, 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 lucky. I should be so lucky in love. Where else can you choose from over 11,000 beaches? Explore the world's largest living organism or get up close to kangaroos and quokkas? This is only in Australia. Of course, a shower is one of the first things you need after a long flight. When I touched down in Australia, I was whisked from the airport straight to one of Melbourne's newest and sharpest hotels, United Places Botanic Gardens. As one walks into the building, there's no foyer. Instead, Laura Woodward's kinetic conical sculpture throws light on the ceiling and points to the lift and the 12 suites above with either views of the gardens or the heritage buildings of Melbourne. Waltzing Matilda, waltzing Matilda, who come a waltzing Matilda with me? 
dried off and dressed, I was ready to meet the founder of the hotel, real estate developer Darren Rubenstein. I started by asking him how he came to be involved in the project. Uh, it was about an organic process. We had this beautiful block of land in, in the best, I feel, location in Melbourne that is across the road from the, the Botanical Gardens with shops and residential, this really beautiful hybrid in Melbourne, which we're known for cafes. And I really felt there was a need for a thoughtful, authentic hotel that wasn't in the Melbourne marketplace. And then that started a four-year journey to create United Places and the built form and the, the brand itself. We were looking to achieve something that was thoughtful and meaningful, not just a place to come and spend time and a room. We wanted to, to for a guest to come and enjoy Melbourne and immerse yourself in Melbourne. So the built form and, and the design had to have that welcoming feeling, yet striking, but then also relate what we wanted to achieve from a, a travel and a guest perspective. And that was a curation of many design people from a branding perspective and a, an architectural interiors perspective. To create an experience, I think, was first and foremost in the journey. United Places was designed by Sue Carr of Carr Design Group, one of Australia's most influential multidisciplinary design firms, which is also responsible for Jackalope, a new venture on a private vineyard on the Mornington Peninsula. With its jet black exterior, the hotel unifies art, design, dining and storytelling. I asked Sue to locate us geographically. We're on rolling green hills an hour out of Melbourne. The uh, neighbours and the local council were very, very concerned about a hotel in their midst. And we soon allayed those concerns by the placement of the building. As you arrive at Jackalope off the main road, you rise up along a vineyard surrounded on one side by the vineyard, a, a lovely natural road, and you arrive at the building which is not seen from the road. So the placement of the building was incredibly important. And part of the cladding of the building and, and the scale of the building, it's, it's only 46 rooms, it's not huge, um, was how it was seen by the neighbourhood. And in the end, there is not one person in that region that isn't thrilled and delighted with what Jackalope has, has contributed to their environment. And we were very lucky to meet such a spectacular young man as Lewis Lee. He had come from China and he had an amazing vision. His brief to us was that he wanted the idea of alchemy and the process of alchemy to be part of the narrative behind the journey as you arrive and use your time at Willow Creek. So in a way that the link to alchemy could be a link to the process of making wine. So if you're making wine from grapes to create gold, your wine, in this instance it was the transformation of base metals to gold, which is really alchemy. Arriving at Jackalope, I took in the imposing artwork at the entrance. 
The huge sculpture by Emily Floyd depicts the eponymous mythical creature, half antelope, half jackrabbit. The art continues throughout the property, as was explained to me by a member of the reception staff. As you walk into the bar, I think the first thing that always people see straight away is this amazing feature that's right in the window, sort of a chemistry piece that very much speaks, of course, in the distillation sort of sciencey factor. Um, and that is a piece by Rolf Sach, and it's a, yeah, a chemistry light feature right in the entry. Before we head out from the bar, we should probably mention some of the furniture that's throughout this property. And we do see this furniture then linking into do 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 the main restaurant and, of course, the hotel rooms as well. And that is furniture from Zusta, a Melbourne-based company. Uh, a lot of the furniture is specially commissioned just for the hotel, but a lot of it is also items that guests are able to purchase. And I know that from a lot of times that guests come and stay if it's something that they can have in their own home that reminds them of Jackalope that they're sort of going for that, um, that factor. So I think that now that we can walk through the property and we'll walk past the wine store into Doot Doot Doot. You know, you walk in and it, it's... It looks incredible. I think it celebrates jackalope so much. So as soon as you walk in, you see sort of a grand combination of quite slick and sharp black furniture, again from Zusta, beautiful golden white terrazzo tables and a stunning 10,000 light bulb chandelier right above you. Now this space represents fermentation, which is the second step in the process of alchemy. And it's also linking back to the also fermentation process of creating wine. And that is what that chandelier represents right up the top. When you dine here at nighttime, you will actually notice that the chandelier sort of bubbles. It dims in and out. And that is representing as if you were looking into a barrel of fermenting wine when it's bubbling. So it's that same situation. And this art piece is by um, Jan Fluke, who's a Melbourne lighting and lighting installation artist. Uh, it's one of probably his largest pieces. And it... It took nearly three weeks to hang and it's, yeah, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. I couldn't wait to explore my room at Jackalope and once again indulge my obsession with bathtubs whilst overlooking the vineyard view. So outside we have the Willow Creek vineyards, which do have Pinot Noir grapes, Chardonnay, Cab Sav, which is all featured from the front and the back of the property. That vineyard room overlooks also the pool and the vineyards as well with the lake at the back. Now over in the bath area we have the Japanese bathtub which has the inclusion of the bath salts with a collaboration of Hunter Lab which is the dried up skin grapes that we use inside the bath salts from Willow Creek which you'll find there. And the bath takes, it's huge. It's very large, it takes 20 to 30 minutes to fill up as it's a bit of a kind of adds to the serenity of the experience of all of the um, inclusions of the products and also the relaxation of your stay. Next, I took a short flight south from Melbourne, leaving Australia's mainland and arriving in Tasmania, where I discovered Fresenay Lodge, an iconic tourist destination close to Wineglass Bay. The lodge, built 30 years ago, sits on 6.6 hectares between the Hazard Mountains and the ocean. It's comprised of 70 rooms. General Manager Trent Thompson showed me around. So I'm walking into Fresnay Lodge and what you can see as you walk in is this expanse of, of wooden flooring, huge fireplace and then as you come up to the reception desk and look beyond, there's just the most incredible view. Tell us what we're looking at. 
Yeah, so the view is of Great Oyster Bay. The property's built right on the coastline, so it's, yeah, it's pretty spectacular. Everyone really enjoys that view. I, quite often guests will walk into reception to check in and literally walk straight past reception to the view, first of all, and have a look, and it's a bit of a wow factor. And now, just walking down these stairs, so on our right we have the restaurant, and on our left is a bar area and also a seating area with a huge stone fireplace, and also a billiards table, which is, which is fantastic. I've seen a lot of people play that, as well as playing board games. There's a lot of a kind of family feel. It's really like, well, a lodge. Yeah, definitely. We really promote our guests to come and use, it, use this area try and get them out of their rooms basically so they can all connect with each other down here it's a great feel especially in the afternoon when the sun's setting there's a lot of people out on the deck taking photos of the sunset with a glass of wine or a cocktail or something like that and during the day they use it like now people sitting around drinking coffee yeah it's a great space so now walking right out here and uh, this lovely big wooden deck and we're now sort of pushing out almost over the ocean if we look to our right very much buried in the tree line, you can just see that there are some buildings. Now, this is part of your recent refurb. These are brand new rooms. Tell us about those. What you can see there, they're our coastal pavilions. They were opened around 18 months ago. We had our first guests through them. Once again, we had some architects and consultants come through. They sort of essentially worked out what we needed here at Frasenay Lodge. We really needed something that was low impact as far as being seen from from the area due to our location in the National Park. They complement our property very well. They fit into the coastline there. It's superb accommodation. Everyone um, really enjoys them. They're all made out of Tasmanian timbers again, curved glasses, floor-to-ceiling. Yeah, it's premium accommodation. I've had a look in in them, but they're so popular that, in fact, we we can't get in there to talk about them. The curved glass, as you say, mirrors the the shape of the bay, uh, very much around the the bathroom areas. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the architects were conscious of the area, and we have a lot of little bays around the around the edge of the lodge. Uh, they wanted the uh, shape of the building to fit in with the with the coastline, which they do. They look great, and yeah, they've got uh, outdoor baths on the deck, which uh, people everyone uses them even in the middle of winter when it's cold down here. The rooms are about bringing the environment inside without being outside, I guess. Hence the um, floor-to-ceiling glass. Once you're sitting in one, you really do feel like you're sitting outside. The trees, everything's so close. Wildlife comes in during the afternoon and the evening up on the decks. And yeah, it's great. There's binoculars in the rooms there, so people quite often get them out and have a look at all the the crevices. There's sea eagles and wedge-tailed eagles flying about. And yeah, no, they're awesome. Last night at sunset I took a stroll down to Honeymoon Bay, very romantically named, and the view was incredible. The sun was coming down, there was the most extraordinary sunset, absolutely sort of picture postcard perfect. But the thing that struck me was I was the only person there appreciating this incredible view in really what is a big tourist area, and it was just me. Yeah, that's pretty common of the area you were lucky to get that to yourself but generally speaking there's somewhere on the peninsula here any throughout the year any time of the year where you can go and you'll have a a beach to yourself basically you can walk kilometers of beach without seeing anyone even in the peak of summer I mean I guess that is the ultimate luxury just having this space to yourself but but here the other the other thing that you really highlight is the luxury of time 
we have a lot of people come and the hustle and bustle of Sydney or Melbourne or wherever, and they come here and yeah, time they forget time basically. It's yeah, time is nothing once they're here. They slow down. It's very rare that people can get away and actually relax and forget about time, but uh, it certainly happens here at Frasnay Lodge. There is no yeah, there is no time essentially. Just up the coast and still within the Fresnay National Park is friendly beaches. But unless you knew it was there, you'd never find it. This is just completely hidden. Indeed. So the only way that our guides can locate the entrance to our beautiful lodge is through the reef that is only sometimes exposed depending on the tides. And from this beach view, our lodge is completely hidden and thus known as the Invisible Lodge. (laughs) So we're moving out here through our she-oak forest path that we've wound down to the coastline and we've come out onto friendly beaches. This is open ocean, so our next stop is New Zealand. And the sand is this beautiful white sand that is a product of the granite that is the major stone that makes up the beautiful hazard mountain range formation. That's Zoe, a host at Friendly Beaches. So this project uh, first began as a creation or collaboration of Ken Latona and Joan Masterman over 27 years ago now. We're completely surrounded by national park or beachfront and that is because the land itself was originally national park land and was privatised in a bid to prevent and protect the space from serious environmental degradation that was occurring on site. So the land was sold but was done so with a series of covenants as to how it could subsequently be used and experienced. A few of which have really informed the creation of the Fresnay experience. Some that we like to mention include the fact that there should still be access to the site and in the form of a tourism venture specifically a walking based holiday so that the area could still be experienced but in a much more gentler and low impact fashion than was previously the case when recreational fishing and shooting was engaged in on site. So the four day experience that we've now created was formed. Tell us a little bit about Ken, because he really was the person that established eco-friendly or low-impact design, not really just here in Tasmania, but perhaps worldwide. He is a true pioneer. The Latona-Masterman collaboration was really the first time that ecotourism was brought into the Australian and specifically Tasmanian space, that walking tourism experience model with sort of luxury but minimal accommodation options and they were really the pioneers I guess of ecotourism in this space. Ken has really tried to blur the boundaries between the indoor spaces and the outdoor spaces that we're experiencing and he does that with those beautiful picture frame windows that frame the happenings of the outdoor spaces. He does that by removing insulation in our main lodge building so that we can feel changes in the temperature, we can hear the waves rolling in and we can hear birds waking in the morning. We also have corrugated iron roofs which mean that we can hear even the slightest drop of rain, we can hear leaves falling and we can really experience what's happening in our outdoor spaces. 
it's just so beautiful. <laughs> it was a huge honour to actually meet Ken Latona, who, despite ill health, took time to talk to me about this extraordinary project. I design and build sheds, basically. Tourism can be very rapacious in the impact it has in place. It can change cultures and change landscapes. And that's not the point of the sort of future for the world that I'm inter interested in, which is understanding different places through travel that's quite specific. And by that I mean we've got one example in the three projects I've done here that you get people out of their comfort zone and you provide the basic amenities and take them to these wonderful places for total immersion. And they, the experience that they get out of reacting with not only the landscape they're in, but the young guides, Tasmanian guides that they're working with is very powerful. And in a way, that's the ultimate luxury, isn't it? Yes, it is. And most people respond to it very well. We've had basically total acceptance of the reduced use of everything. And what we're keen on doing is giving people the experience that they may not otherwise have the experience or the ability to do on their own. I also went to speak to Joan Masterman, Ken's partner in Friendly Beaches, who has a background in town planning. Ken was very innovative in having, I think, one of the first people to use solar energy. This is 30 years ago and composting toilets, but also to have a beautiful design that fitted in with the bushland. Mm. And, I mean, the design is done in such a way that he's really brought the outside in. He frames the landscape beautifully. Mm. Yes. Well, I mean, I think he did a, a brilliant job and he, he had owned that land and lived there in a very modest fashion for a couple of years before... You know, we got the permission to build. So I think he had a great love for the place. And he really understood it. I mean, I think that's key to it, isn't it? Yes. He understood the kind of importance of the beach and for the buildings not to be built, seen from the beach. And he understood the, the kind of wood that was available in Tasmania, which at that time was mainly being chopped and sent overseas. So he had a great feeling for the place. He lived in actually a small place with a lovely girlfriend of his, and we all called it the love shack. <laughs> <laughs> now, people go there to walk and also to look at the landscape, but we shouldn't ignore the fact that it is actually a luxury experience too. They're beautifully looked after. Yes, we've been very conscious of, while people don't have an ensuite but that we have beautiful fresh sheets and lovely cushions. And one thing I've been very keen about is displaying as much Tasmanian art as possible and having a very good library. But architecture really is the thing that is outstanding. And the fact that you can't see the buildings from the beach and they're so much almost like come part of the landscape. It's almost like a, a secret. Yes, I like to think it is a secret. <laughs> it is a secret place, and it's, it's a magic kind of place, and it does work on people. 
and um, usually socially people will arrive and not know each other that well and then when they leave they're often very very close friends quite a few have got married <laughs> From Tasmania, I travelled up to New South Wales to meet Ben Hutchings, the director of Paperbark Camp. It's a luxury bush retreat and restaurant in Jervis Bay, just a few hours' drive south of Sydney. We started our chat on a rock overlooking the ocean. Jervis Bay is uh, almost 50% uh, marine park, so conservation of Jervis Bay is highly important and we've got two major national parks, on one on the north and one on the south, Boudoiree in the south and Jervis Bay National Park to the north. And it has the world's longest, whitest stretches of, of beach. Every beach in this area is made up of um, uh, quite a lot of silica, so um, the, the sand is super white and we recommend visitors bring their sunglasses and the, the, the water here is crystal clear blue, really spectacular. Paperbark Camp, well I suppose its ideation was back in the early 90s after a couple of trips to Africa. Back in 1990 and 1994, my mum and dad, Irina and Jeremy, took the family over for a couple of magical holidays and they absolutely fell in love with the, with the countries there. And they'd realised that there's nothing quite like that in Australia at the time. And it was very forward thinking of them, trailblazers you might call them, but they borrowed the idea of a safari camp from Africa. After many years of fighting with bureaucracy here in Australia, in 1999 we opened Australia's first safari camp. They took the clearing of land very seriously and hand-cleared only the smallest trees possible. So what you find is you've got this beautiful restaurant, which is three and a half, four metres off the ground, surrounded by 13 safari tents that are very carefully placed around the trees. If you're dining there and you're not actually staying in the camp, you almost wouldn't even know that they're there. It really makes for just quite a magical little spot in amongst these beautiful paperbark trees. Leaving the beach, we drove to the camp, passing a kangaroo or two on the way. We are standing out on the deck at Paperbark Camp, strolling down toward the river on a sunny afternoon with birdsong in the background. And this big, big wooden deck, obviously made out of local wood. Yeah, absolutely. These are local spotted gum uh, that all of our timber decking here is made from. Try to focus on local product where possible. Should we take a stroll down to the river? In Australia, you meant to call them creeks. What's the difference between a river and a creek? Uh, <laughs> Technically, it is, a, it is a, a creek, this one. It's tidal. Its name is Currumbeen Creek. I'm not sure the technical differences between a creek and a river. I would have thought just a river uh, was non-tidal and flowing to a certain level. <laughs> so now we're walking down and we can just see the creek glinting through the trees and so many trees so many paper barks but also so many other varieties of vegetation here all indigenous i assume yes absolutely we actually use a lot of it in our catering here at the restaurant right here at our feet you can see warrigal greens also known as bush spinach here in australia it's kind of like a bitter spinachy type leaf uh, and we have plenty of samphire just over there you can see sort of 30 40 meters in the distance there's big samphire forest running along the shore there uh, and our chefs and uh, bar staff use this for catering so we're just coming to the water now a little bit earlier i came and just sat here by myself in the sunshine and it was just incredibly 
peaceful. It's particularly stunning down here in the afternoon. There's loads of bird life. And we've got mud crabs and fishing. It's fantastic in here. That's so beautiful. One of our guests, I recall, showing him to his room, and he was one of Australia's wealthiest men at the time, maybe still is, and he walks barefoot around the property for the whole weekend. He said, Ben, you know, I come here to take my shoes off, to connect with the earth. Every time I come here, it's like popping a Valium. And, you know, this is why I'm here. This is why I come to stay here, and I love it so much. So I think that really captures the, uh, the experience. It's very slow, and I think it's just a perfect spot to unwind. It is very reminiscent of an, of an African safari camp, but without anything that wants to eat you. Uh, I mean, yeah, we don't, I can proudly say we don't have a lot of the dangerous animals here that people read about. Australia is well publicised for. Um, on the south coast here, uh, there's no snakes. I've seen one snake a year, I think, <laughs> so very few. And uh, no, we certainly don't have any of the big cats or rhinos or hippos. Are there crocodiles in the creek? There are not. Now you have to go to northern, northern Australia to see the crocs. <laughs> so let's go up these stairs. So we go up these beautiful hardwood stairs. And as you say, there are day beds on either side and candles. And then the tent is um, on zippers, obviously. And uh, so you keep the screens down. That's presumably to keep out the smaller wildlife. <laughs> We don't have so many issues either at this time of year, certainly. It can be cool at night, so you can zip your, the flaps up on the side, but um, uh, there's no reason not to leave them open. And I like to recommend to guests to leave as many windows as op open as possible because there's nothing like waking up in these tents with the sun shining through in the morning, and provided you haven't had too much wine at dinner the night before. <laughs> there's nothing like having a fantastic meal in our restaurant you know, experiential dining before crawling back to your tent and uh, having a good night's sleep here. So mm. we like to think it's the whole package, adventure, food, wine, and uh, nice accommodation. Paperbark Camp refreshed my soul by reconnecting me to nature. I left feeling spiritually and physically rejuvenated by the sensitive design, the glorious cuisine and the extraordinary landscape. A landscape full of its own myths and stories, which really stimulated my curiosity about Aboriginal Australian culture. So, join me next time when I find out more about their 50,000-year history. This is where my grandmother was born, and the people here are known as the Gubriwara. They get the name Gubriwara through a big mountain in behind us here, and a, a creator spirit, Gubri was his name. He saved the people from this area from a flesh-eating spirit, from a flesh-eating demon. And so we call the people here Gubriwara because Gubri still stands in the mountain watching over the people below. Their cuisine. In front of you here is important bush tucker. These are the types of bush foods that our people gathered and survived on in Central Australia for thousands of years. And they are still eaten today, but not as many because of the easy foods we have today. These in front of you here are always spring and summer types of bush tucker, bush foods edible. They would be very fresh and they would have their own unique taste and it sometimes can take a getting used to. And the wonderful indigenous Australian art. 
We have some beautiful examples of Aboriginal art and some of it's very contemporary. In fact, all Aboriginal art on canvas is contemporary and as we know, dot paintings are contemporary too. And, you know, I sometimes have a bit of a giggle to myself when people walk in and see the contemporary art and say to me, oh, you don't have any real Aboriginal art. My name's Georgina Godwin and thank you for listening to Only in Australia. This podcast was brought to you in partnership with Tourism Australia. To find out more about some of the luxury experiences I've mentioned, head to australia.com.